0: Hey listeners, welcome to another episode of Cinésoul on the Overthink Podcast Network. Cinésoul is where we use cinema to explore what matters to us most. Uh, I'm excited about today's conversation, which centers around the 2017 Academy Award-winning film Blade Runner 2049, starring Ryan Gosling and Harrison Ford, among others. My friend Mimi Reed has some great insight into the film, and I really enjoyed it her perspective and our talk, and I hope uh, you do too. So here it is.
1: The world is built on a wall that separates
0: kind. Tell either side there's no wall. You bought a war. I always told
1: you, you're special. story isn't over yet there's still a page left
0: one of the interesting things that you brought to the table was and we're going to get into this deeper later but was the fact that uh, there was a dog in the film and dogs are a big part of your life and so i want to ask you a couple questions about that first off You've got an Etsy site and it's called uh, Give a Dog a Home at give a dog a home for yeah. anybody you out there. Tell us a little bit Thanks about the plug. You bet, uh tell us a little bit about the site and your intent and the mission and all that stuff.
1: Well, so I mostly make dog jackets. It's sort of they're little simple fabric pieces that the dog wears that show people that this dog is available for adoption. Um, I got involved with our local shelter and started fostering a dog for them that had been at the shelter for a really long time, like six months or so. And I would walk her every day. She was a white pit bull, and she walked beautifully on leash. She was a wonderful dog. Um, She could be overly exuberant, and I think that's what kind of made her stay at the shelter so long without being adopted. But I would walk along this busy road and hundreds of cars would be passing by. And I felt like if she, if people knew she was available for adoption, you know, they might come right. and check her out. So I made a, this little jacket for her that said adopt me. Kind and, of a
0: billboard, essentially. Right.
1: It turns the dog into a little walking billboard, basically. Yeah. So um she did finally end up getting adopted. And uh, it did generate a lot of interest, the jacket did. You know, cars would even stop and pull over and say, that's a great dog. And I had little business cards with her information that I would just pass along to them. So anyways, it became a business. And so now I make dog jackets for animal shelters and rescue groups all over the world. And I also make ones that say things like, give me space, like if a dog... Has issues, and you know, isn't good around either people or other dogs. Or whatever. And people are always
0: like, "Can I pet your dog?" And right. This is kind of a heads up about that.
1: Right. So some of some people have them that say, "Do not pet" or "Ask to pet." You know, all, all kinds of things. Right. So you can get anything you want written on the
0: customized jacket. any way right. you want. Yeah. yeah.
1: So that um, and so I'm very lo- involved with my local shelter, and I think part of what drew me to the dog in this movie. It's just the whole idea of dogs being here on the earth basically because humans have caused them to be Uh, and the relationship that dogs have with people and that they're reliant on us and that they really live or die according to whether... Humans say they can live or die.
0: Yeah, not so, to be crass, but kind of according to human whim.
1: Right. Exactly. They're here for our pleasure, and if they're not right pleasing us, then they're killed. Most right. Of the time.
0: And, and I mean the the thousands year old history of the dog was much more originally about a, a work tool. Right. The dog as as a helper. Yep. In... Uh,
1: Catching animals.
0: Animals, protecting you, uh, you know, helping um, maintain your flocks mm-hmm. of whatever you were raising. Right. and But uh, over a long, long time, that evolved. And my understanding, and, and maybe you don't even know about this, I'm not sure about it either, but my understanding is that the kind of dogs as pets or animals maybe as pets didn't happen until around, like, the Renaissance, where you had a very elite moneyed class mm-hmm. and it was a way of showing off your wealth mm-hmm. that if you could afford to own an animal as a pet you know you had a certain measure of status mm-hmm. in the society yep and
1: yeah so they they changed from working dogs to lap dogs right. or whatever
0: right. yeah
1: and really all the different breeds came about during that period Is because that right? they wanted you know a afghan hound or you know a right. little tiny Uh, Pug or whatever. And that's also part of what what ties into this movie. I don't know if I'm getting too ahead of myself. But the whole idea of creator, that we've created these breeds, that's all man-made. And we've turned it into this detriment. Like, you know, uh, chihuahuas cannot birth their own puppies. They have to be C-sectioned because they're too small to even push their babies out into the world without wow. human intervention. I didn't know that. And uh, dogs like pugs that have the pushed in faces, they can barely breathe. But the people have said, we want it even more pronounced. You know, we want an even more uh, flat nosed dog.
0: Unnatural. Right. To the point be. where
1: they can't breathe. Right. They can hardly exercise because they uh, can't get enough Air into their nasal passages. And I
2: had no idea. And
1: they, uh, you know, the the way that a dog cools himself even is through his panting. You know, right. so uh, they've they've made these dogs that are detrimental to themselves. Um, even like German shepherds, they want that sloping back and hindquarters. That's why so many German shepherds have hip problems mm. because they are proportioned you know, in a way that is not good for them. Right. So it's just, it's crazy that we've created all of these attributes for our pleasure and then it ends up being negative for the actual creature. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it just, and, you know, we could say yeah. the dogs don't ask to be born. They don't ask to be put into the conditions that we put them in. Right. And that all ties back into the movie. Of, yeah. You know, these of replicants. Creatures, right? They were not asked, you know. I, but I, none of us were asked. Yeah, yeah. We well, get what we get, sort yeah. of. But
0: whether it, human raises... or replicant, right? Yeah, but still, most of us that were created, I'm talking like there's actual replicants, sort <laughs> <laughs> uh, You know, humans, whether we asked to be born or not, if it was intentional that our parents had us, then at least we were there was some reasoning behind that right very little sometimes or a whole lot other times but we were we were brought into the world intentionally let's say mm-hmm. i know that's not a blanket statement doesn't cover everyone that's born uh but more so uh than not whereas replicants all of them are created intentionally mm-hmm. right and they're all created for specific purposes because they're different kinds of replicants mm-hmm. uh we, we have very many different examples of the different kinds of replicants in this film
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh, from, from the replicant Sapper Morton that we see at the beginning at the farm who, you know, he used to be a replicant that was out in space uh, maybe in wars, maybe colonizing other worlds or whatever, but doing dangerous work out in space. And then he hides himself back on earth and becomes this grub farmer. Right. Mm-hmm. And he's a hulking big, You can see how he would be an effective warrior or an effective, you know, outer space pioneer. I don't know what you want to call him. Uh, He doesn't look like a farmer to me. Uh, No offense to farmers out there. Uh, But then you've got uh, Kay, who's, you know, he's a detective, if you will, uh, uh, a guy who finds people and terminates them, executes them, gets rid of them, and... And then you've got uh, someone like Love, who's, I'll use the term henchwoman for uh, the evil uh, Neander Wallace, but she's very specialized, right? She's got a certain look that is supposed to appeal to uh, people she's interfacing with in kind of a business context, but she's lethal and her mentality is certainly not one that I would want to try to raise someone to have um, as far as kind of, you know, moral questions about her. So, so as you mentioned that whole notion of, Hey, we create dogs in this kind of way. I realized more deeply how all these replicants are created in certain kinds of ways to fit the needs of their task or their master's wishes or whatever. I mean, we even have that one example in the film where uh neander wallace is checking out the latest model if you will and kind of we see that scene it's so creepy where this naked woman kind of falls out of a plastic i don't know bag Mm -hmm. and and is covered in goo it's kind of a birthing scene right Right. i mean it's literally a a replicant birthing scene every civilization
2: was built off the back of a disposable workforce but i can only make so many happy birthday
0: and and neander interfaces with her and and whatever but and and then he makes this arbitrary choice that you know this one isn't good enough and and kills her right there Mm -hmm. uh before she's even had a chance to really become a- alive in the way that we consider it. But, you know, mm-hmm. it it was just so creepy.
1: Right. It <laughs> was know? just all purely whim. Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. And and I'll use the term in quotes, human life as commodity. As completely as, you know, oh, I don't like this item on the shelf. I'm going to throw it in the garbage. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh
0: Because I'm just going to make another one. Mm-hmm with no context or, or sense of what life that commodity that I've made mm-hmm. could possibly have and grow into. And I mean, and really that's a lot about what the film is, is right. is how human are replicants and how human are humans and what's the difference between them. And I love that scene with the dog where you've got Harrison Ford's character of Deckard talking to agent K and K asks him, is the dog real? Mm-hmm and what's what's uh, Deckard's response ask him mm-hmm. i don't know ask him uh which for me kind of made it feel like Deckard's perspective was it doesn't matter
1: right what's the difference
0: yeah yeah right he I mean, does
1: what a dog does and, so what difference and i it interact
0: make? with him getting whatever you know emotional connection i need or expect or want yep. with this animal and the animal maybe does tasks that are you know he's on the alert kind of in case anybody like Agent K shows up. Uh, he's not a guard dog per se, Yeah. but does if it matter? A
1: piece of cheese.
0: Yeah, <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. And he drinks bourbon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't try this at home, Hope, <laughs> With your replicant dogs. Um,
1: well, going back, I just wanted to say I there was so much to this movie. Just yeah. So I watched it a bunch of times. Mm. Um, and I, every time I watched it, there was more that I saw that I didn't see before. And I have to give the caveat also that I don't always sit there and watch it. Like I, I have it on while I'm doing other things. Yeah. Um, so I more listen to it than I actually see it every single time. Um, but you had asked me earlier if I had seen the original Yeah. and I had, I, took a film class in college okay. and Blade Runner was one of the movies. Right. And so I watched that movie.
0: Uh, in an academic setting where you'd talk about it and whatever, right?
1: Well, yeah, I had to write a paper on mm, it. And okay. so I, I watched the movie maybe six or seven times mm. back then mm-hmm. um, and then wrote the paper. And the paper was, what I remember about the paper was the comparison of Deckard and Rutger Howard, mm-hmm. Roy. Yeah. And uh, which one is really the hero or the good guy? Which one's the bad guy? Which one's more humane than the other? Right. And uh, it was interesting to see those themes carried through to this new movie. And uh, But how much they enriched it. I mean, they just really...
2: Yeah.
1: I th- I thought it was just so masterfully done. And there's just so many exciting things to talk about. it.
0: So... <laughs> well- well, we'll and, try to get to all of them then. Yeah, let's. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what what strikes you, you know, we've already talked a little bit about the whole dog action, but what else? what's off the top of your head about it?
1: One thing that I really noticed in this movie is the whole uh, emphasis on the hand. Mm. Um, the opening shot, it, they show L.A. and the synthetic farmland, and then the first time they showed... Uh, K, his hand is resting while he's he's kind of dozing in his vehicle. Right. And they they show his hand first. Right. And then they go into where Sapper is, and the first thing they show is Sapper's hand bringing the mealworms out of the water. Mm. Um, and then throughout the whole movie, it's hand, 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 hand. Um, when Joy, the mm-hmm. uh, pleasure...
0: Right. His My, girlfriend.
1: Right. Uh, she goes out into the rain and they show her putting her hand right. out to touch the rain. Right. And then um, when. With
0: a shot that's mirrored at the very end.
1: Yes. That Ryan Gosling does the yeah. same with the snow. Right. Yes. And then, uh, I mean, all throughout, there's that, like in Las Vegas, they, there's these huge hand right. statues. Um,
0: what does that say to you?
1: It says to me that hands. Make us human. Hmm. That's what we use to express, to show love and affection. You know, you reach out a hand. Uh, A few times in the movie where they're rejecting someone, they push the hand away. Hmm. Like uh, Mariette, the Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. prostitute. A few times she puts her hand out toward Kay and he shoves her hand off. Like, Mm -hmm. don't you touch me, Mm -hmm. you know. Um,
0: Whereas Joy... You know, in her holographic state, puts her hands around him in a very loving, you know, cradling his head, even though she's not really there and he's not really feeling it until Joy and Mariette do that sort of merge.
1: And even during the merge, they put their hands together and then they flip. They sink. Yeah. 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 Um, And then at the very end, the very last shot is Harrison Ford. Meeting his daughter, and he puts his hand up on the glass. Yeah. So, yeah, I, all throughout, I just saw so many hands. And I, I, it, I, but like also the hand is what we create with. Mm. I mean, even mm. though it might be our brains that are doing yeah. the thinking part, you know, it manifests in our hands. Yeah. So, and then during the Las Vegas scene, they show Elvis singing take my hand, take my whole life too. So throughout the movie, I felt like they just kept pointing that out. So I'm, I do feel like he, there, they were somehow equating the hand with being human. So like, if you have a hand, you're basically a human, whether you're
0: replicant or naturally birthed or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's fascinating. I hadn't even, that hadn't occurred to me, but my, my, my mind is being blown as you're talking. Yeah. If
1: you watch it again, you'll see that. I mean, there's dozens. Oh, so true. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And also, I mean, there's this phrase, the hand of the creator, Mm -hmm. right? right. As, as, as the manifestation of the power to create and to have that sort of be subtly utilized or pointed to, mm. no pun intended, um, <laughs> throughout the film is is pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. So what else? What else?
1: Well, even in that uh, the baseline test, he says, "Right, what's it like to hold the hand of someone to, you love, mm. or you know, something about finger to finger?" Um, uh, and the whole baseline test was so interesting to me, and I, I that's some. Thing i want to pay more attention to if i watch the movie again right because it goes by so fast and i i was trying to figure out like what what exactly is happening here right and that does it also goes back to the first movie uh that where they're saying that it has to do with your how, the quickness of your response or something and the time that uh k is off baseline his responses were kind of sluggish and yeah but I, i mean what do you think of that test or what did
0: i i I think the test is designed to gauge um emotional state uh it's probably deeper than that uh as far as how would you test a replicant to see if the replicant's not going off its quote-unquote program so i i do think that it depends on is the timing of the responses within the parameters of what we would expect normalcy to be? But also, there's tenor in the voice that indicates emotional content or the emotional state of the person talking. And I didn't hear any wildness in his failed test about that. But he was at a moment where he'd experienced a level of emotion that probably had been peak in his existence, right? He'd gone through all these things and discovered some things and was questioning some things about himself and starting to believe some things about whether he was really a replicant or not that I'm sure would show up in, you know, the graphs of his voice recording Mm -hmm. um, in that that test. Mm -hmm. Now, my understanding is that especially the, the phrase cells interlinked, is from uh, Nabokov's book Pale Fire, oh. which we also see in Kay's apartment. Joy picks it up. Is she going to read? No, she doesn't want to. Puts it down. Or maybe it's the lieutenant that picks it up, or the um, uh, Lieutenant Joshi, the Robin Wright character, mm-hmm. when she's over. But we know that, that Kay's read it, because it's in his apartment. And so I don't know if the entirety of of all the phrases that comprise the test are from pale fire. But I know that at least that one phrase, if not more is, and that's an interesting book that I've never read, but I've been reading about it as I did some research that, that is really about, it includes the notion of creation, creator, the conflict of, of, you know, that, uh, relationship, <laughs> And so I, I'd be interested to to read that uh, that book. I, from what I understand, it's it's a pretty complex writing. It was written as a sort of poem, a nine hundred stanza poem or something. Hmm. But the book is about the writer of the poem and others commenting on the the writing of the poem, all within the context of the book, not because they're Academics commenting on what Nabokov wrote—it's—it's it's the content of what Nabokov wrote—is people commenting on this poem. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm sure those complex notions of who's the creator, who's the the creative voice we're listening to at any moment in time, um, might be part of what's kind of wrapped up in in the films. Mm-hmm. Uh, so.
1: Well, when I was coming. Driving down here, I even thought, what are the big themes in this movie? And I was thinking one of them is the relationship between God, creator, right. human or replicant, right. and animals. Because they do reference animals. Right. They show the beehive. Right. And, and then I realized that it's the connection or the cells interlinked. Of them, and it made me think, oh, interlinked, interlinked, cells interlinked, right. yeah. So that kept running through my mind, right. and so it—it's just funny that that's what's in the test, and that that's what he has to repeat is interlinked cells interlinked. Right. And then a lot of the other things that the test giver says, he doesn't say. Right. But there's he only ca- certain
0: phrases, right? Right.
1: Yeah. yeah. He he only has to say the ones. That don't evoke emotion. It's that's what it seemed like to me, anyway. Hmm. So if it was something dry, mm-hmm. then he says that. But if it's something like, "What's it like to touch the hand of someone you love?" He doesn't, he doesn't repeat, repeat it. that one. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. Yeah.
0: Wow, you got my brain spinning. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, I, I read a quote. Uh, there was a great uh, piece on medium by uh, a writer named Maria Bustillos, who's got some interesting takes on on the film and and some of the things we're talking about and uh for you listeners i'll i'll provide a link to that piece on uh the website but she says in it um and i'm quoting replicants in both blade runner films are allegories of human beings like them we are finely made machines with almost incredible capabilities like them we have incept dates and are eventually quote retired unquote like them we cling to existence fearfully tenaciously lovingly in confusion panic and hope hope that there might be some reason why this is all happening and much more than that hope that there might be and even that each of us might someday learn that there was a worthwhile reason for our own tiny part in it all along Hmm. and i think that's true Mm -hmm. i think that's part of sort of the awakening if you will that k goes through Mm -hmm. um when you know when at, at, in his final scene i think he's sort of appreciating a measure of satisfaction that he played a part mm-hmm. you know he gave his life because mm-hmm. it feels like he dies at the end of the film we're not quite sure but um that he sacrificed himself like the resistance replicants that came and talked to him talked about mm-hmm. um we all wish we were the, the child one. right yeah but we can all play a part in what that special one can mean for mm-hmm. the race of replicants, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think that's probably the most overt connection to, to what uh, uh, Maria Bustillo's mm-hmm. quote sort of connects for me. What about for you?
1: Yeah, I, that's I, what she wrote was beautiful. And it yeah. was so true that, we have so many similarities, even though, on some level, cellular level, we are not at all the same, and right. yet we are really all, yeah, all in the same boat. Yeah, yeah.
0: And there's so many pieces of art right now uh, that are, you know, uh, wrestling with these issues. We've got Westworld. Mm-hmm. That's you know, what's it really mean to be human? Mm-hmm. Or you've got, you're either a host or you're a human or you're sometimes both. And what, you know, what's, what's the definition and when does it matter? And when does it not? Mm-hmm. Uh, and the question of control, uh, creation of a life and, and rights and, and those kinds of, of, of other things. Uh, I mean, there's, there's been all kinds of stuff earlier. I was watching uh, uh, some TV a few weeks ago and and uh spielberg's ai uh was on tv and that's about a little robot boy who wants to you know he's like the pinocchio character he wants to be a real boy Mm -hmm. and and in some ways he's more real than any of us Mm -hmm. because of how attuned he is to to the emotion emotional need of his of his human mother or designated mother it's a complicated film but but it's. I find it interesting that in, you know, that we're wrestling with all these questions right now as a society, or at least our entertainment is.
1: Well, I feel like it's more than entertainment because all the family separation at the border, yeah, keeps popping into my mind because. You know, we've made these arbitrary differences between us and them. Yeah. And so we're saying you can't do this or that and you deserve this or that. Um, and we dehumanize Completely. people.
0: yeah.
1: Instead of thinking, yeah, we're all in this together.
0: Yeah.
1: So, yeah, I just keep thinking. And, and we're all
0: equal because we're really all more the same than we are more different. Yeah. So, which is, you know, I mean, that's been happening since the beginning. Yeah. Of life, I suppose.
1: Yeah, it's made me see how how I can dehumanize people. Yeah. Even on a smaller level, where you just yeah. think you justify whatever action it is, thinking, you know, I'm not gonna care about that. Yeah. Um, you know, like even scrolling through Facebook, people are asking for money on this cause or that cause. And it's so easy to just uh let it go by. I mean, I know we can't, there's limitations to what we can all do, but I, it is sad to me that we have, we sort of have to turn off some of our compassion and things. uh, And we're forced to dehumanize because of whatever issue.
0: Yeah. Or at least even if we're not forced, we're the choice to choose dehumanizing. The dehumanizing way is in a sense, sometimes a choice born out of the necessity for relief mm-hmm. of being overwhelmed mm-hmm. by the need for so much empathy in so many areas. Yeah. I mean, that's what, that's what gets to me
1: yeah, it's overwhelming.
0: is, you know, and I realize none of us individually, quote unquote, can save the world, right? We can, we can play our part just like Kay eventually does. In, in the moments that are in front of him, and the more I remember that, the the calmer I can be about the fact that the world needs far more than I individually can give it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that still, you know leaves me wrestling with an anxiety about that mm-hmm. that makes it easier to take a way out of stress by just defining someone else or someone else's needs as less significant, Mm -hmm. whereas, whereas they're not, they're not less significant at all. Everyone's needs are significant, um, especially to them. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I don't have to diminish someone else, even in the midst of recognizing that I might not be able to play a significant role in changing that person's circumstances Mm -hmm. or addressing those needs, whatever they might be. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I've had to wrestle in that way. Uh, On a personal level, with friends and and acquaintances that I've had that I've, you know, I've been confronted with their personal, physical, emotional, mental needs. And, and sometimes I'm, I'm choosing to be there in a deep kind of way. And sometimes I can't afford that Mm -hmm. because of my own psyche or my own weakness or cowardice or fears Mm -hmm. or, you know, it's complex, right?
1: Mm -hmm. Right. Self-preservation. Yeah.
0: It's not as simple as a movie. Yeah. But, but it's, I appreciate films, especially films that can make me confront these ideas, mm-hmm. these notions, these realizations mm-hmm. so that then I'm weighing those in a more sort of conscious way uh, and realizing that I'm making choices mm-hmm. and then I have to either be all right with the choice that I'm making and work through that, but I'm not making the choice out of sort of blindness if you will. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that's a lot of the, of what the value of all the hell that's happening in society right now in this American society with me too, and black lives matter and, uh, gun control and this immigrant situation, uh, is we're all being forced to confront the realities and realize that, okay, well, I'm going to make some choices around these realities. I can't I can't choose and re- think that I'm not choosing. Mm-hmm. I'm making some conscious choices here. I might not be fully aware of all the choices that I'm making, but I'm becoming more so because I'm becoming, to use the phrase of the moment, more woke, right? Mm-hmm. To, to everything, to my, me as a, as a man, to my relationships with women. And what does that mean in even the most subtle ways that I hadn't been aware of until I started being more conscious about those kinds of things to me as a, an immigrant, a refugee from a, from a country that we left to come to the United States and build a life here, but at the same time, sort of a, a man that's identified as white, right? I'm not a brown-skinned or black-skinned person. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm a white-skinned person, even though I have a Latino perspective and an immigrant perspective and a refugee pr- perspective. All those are, are a consciousness that I'm much more fully aware of now and what privileges I might be having white privileges as a male white being in this society that I hadn't thought about because internally I'm thinking of myself as a Latino.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Right. So all those things are coming to an awareness now that I appreciate that we're going through as a society because of what it might yield for us down the road, not not because of the turmoil that it's causing now, but that's necessary. You know, that's part of the cost of growth, mm-hmm. and certainly not because of the circumstances that are causing the turmoil. A lot of them just heinous political uh, dastardliness <laughs> that that are choices people are making on their own and affecting far many more people. Yeah. So, uh, so that's interesting that you that you brought that up. What what else comes to your mind?
1: Well, I think all the things that you're talking about the, in in our world happening now and within the movie, I, I think that's kind of why uh, in the movie there are all these uh, biblical references mm. because it's sort of like you, you get so overwhelmed with the world and the problems uh, that you have to sort of look outside and think of a purpose and a larger uh Context. entity yeah. that is mm-hmm. hopefully controlling and giving meaning to all of this right. crappiness that's going on. So uh I, it just makes me think that the the movie makers have are also grappled with those issues and, mm-hmm. and that's why uh God and uh Christ like Elements are in the movie too, sort of pulling in you know there there's more than what's right here,
0: right yeah, sort of the uh the the unseen, yeah, yeah,
1: and it was interesting to me that to see the uh the illusions, you know, even the child being. Half replicant and half human. Supposedly, maybe right. he's not or she's right. not. We right. don't know exactly. Yeah, because there were illusions of whether Deckard was really a replicant after all. Yeah, well, yeah. And then- there's
0: passionate arguments from either side on the <laughs> question, so we'll let those arguments lie.
1: <laughs> and then you know when when uh, K goes to the orphanage. You know the kids all touch him, just like he's this Christ-like savior mm. coming mm. to rescue them or something. Um, and there were a few other things, like either they said that somebody was it the baby that they said died of Galatians syndrome, right? right. So, uh, which I, I
0: thought was a completely made-up thing, but I'm oh, not is sure. It a real thing? I, I don't know.
1: I I looked it up, and they it just referred to the the verse in Galatians that says. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Against these things there is no law. Mm. And then the the reference that I looked up said, you know, you've got love, mm-hmm. the person in the movie named right. love, and joy. Right. And so it may and then if somebody dies of that, it seems like they're they died of being too good. Right. So I mean I don't know what that means, and maybe that's for the next sequel or whatever. Right. But.
0: Or maybe like a lot of these films, that just won't get answered. That's just a mysterious question that's gonna. The artists are just gonna leave out there for yeah. us to ponder and argue and wrestle with, and which is okay. I'm,
1: yeah, I don't I'm, like that. I wish they would tell th-
0: us. You, you, for, you for, <laughs> I like ambiguity. You don't.
1: <laughs> well, I feel like there's got to be some something more to it like why why would they bother to put that in there
0: they just want to mess with us
1: well and I know that the, the beehive thing was another question like why are there these bees and
0: yeah.
1: why are they alive yeah do, do you have any thoughts about that
0: well I'm I assume and these are completely unverifiable assumptions I guess uh, I don't think there's any evidence in the movie to tell us one way or another but I'm assuming since Deckard's been living in this abandoned radiation, formerly radiation area of Las Vegas, where like nobody comes even into this zone, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that the bees are, are kind of a farming effort on his part to, to have honey. I have no evidence of that being real. And, and how can the bees survive if there's no flowers and pa- i mean what are the bees living on yeah. are the are they replicant bees i mean the only things the only two th- natural resources we see in the film are sapper morton is farming grubs for protein right so he's on a grub farm mm-hmm. and so there are grubs that are Eating what? Uh, uh, who knows, yeah. <laughs> right? But but there's a process there, right? They're being farmed, and then, then there are these bees that that are in man made hives, right? The kind of beehives you see yep. today yep. in fields. But there's no field. There's no flower. There's no you know thi- plant for the bees to interact with. The bees just can't make honey on their own. Without being, you know, getting some sustenance, what are what are the bees feeding on?
1: But there is the one flower.
0: What I don't remember that.
1: Oh, at the base of the tree.
0: Oh, is oh no, that uh,
1: little orange flower that that's what makes him see the the carving. Yes, and the box. Because yeah, yeah, That's how they. But eat.
0: that's a completely different. There's no bees there. So I'm saying, what are the bees no, feeding
1: on? But maybe, but maybe Deckard brought the flower there oh okay because well, he that's, knows that's where rachel was buried
0: you mean he brought the flower to where the to the grub farm no
1: yeah you're right it was the grub farm yeah yeah yeah. but yeah. that's where the that tree is yeah and the little girl was standing in the
0: in the picture yeah yeah with uh cradled by the other replicant that we meet later on right yeah
1: I don't remember that picture. Okay. I just remember the girl standing there under the tree or and he has that little picture postcard of it.
0: It uh, falls
1: out of this box.
0: No, that's a with picture sock. that's that's a picture of the baby being held by the female replicant that does that doesn't have an eye that confronts Kay later on after K's been rescued uh, by the the resistance. So She's the head of the resistance, and she was the one with Sapper, who was on that farm. Uh-huh. When she was the one that was the midwife, and you know took the baby when Rachel gave birth,
1: uh-huh.
0: and and the picture is of her holding the baby. Oh, That's what I remember, okay. at least. I, maybe I didn't see the well. Maybe you were
1: picture well.
0: That was one of the moments you weren't paying attention while yeah. you were listening to. It. <laughs> You'll see it again, so. okay? And and tell me if I'm wrong, because. And you out there in, in podcast land, you can tell me if I'm wrong too. So.
1: But still there the connection is there, so that yeah. maybe Decker did bring yeah. the flower there as some sort of commemoration. So maybe he has access to flowers somewhere. Yeah. Is what I'm thinking.
0: And and I, I guess more importantly, other than that, you know, the source of all that is there's bees. Yeah. And they're making honey. And they're they're at someone's beck and call because there are hives put there the bees didn't build the hives somebody did now was it the last humans that lived in vegas before they had to leave because of the radiation or got bombed out or whatever and this is just a remnant was it deckard who put that together so he could have honey as maybe i surmise or or but none of that matters i mean i think what's more interesting to me is the question. Are they real bees or are they replicant bees? I don't know.
1: Well, it also mirrors Sapper having garlic. Mm. It seems like he grows garlic for his own enjoyment or whatever. That's true. Yeah. So maybe Deckard is the same with the honey.
0: Yeah. And, and now this, now you're, I'm starting to think about, Who's a replicant and who's not a replicant. So we've got the undecided question. I guess I'll, I'm willing to say it's undecided about whether Deckard's a replicant or not. I don't think he is. I don't either. That's my personal opinion, but I respect other people's opinions and thought train on that. And then you've got Sapper who is a replicant for sure. We know that. And yet he grows garlic for his own pleasure. There's no need for garlic. (laughs) <laughs> it's not a utilitarian need. He's got the grubs. He's got all he needs to survive and has for years out there, but he likes the garlic mm-hmm. and it adds flavor to the stew that he's cooking in that opening scene. So maybe if Deckard is a replicant, maybe he just likes honey.
1: Yeah.
0: And what does that say? It says, well, replicants aren't just the totality of their programming. They can grow and experience and change outside that, which is really the definition of – part of the definition of humanity, mm-hmm. right? Of being able to to sort of think beyond what is seen for your existence mm-hmm. uh, and and do things strictly not so much out of a programmed task need but for pleasure, for the, the – the experience, I mean, K is a replicant, but, you know, as far as I can tell, he sure acts like he loves Joy, and Joy acts like she loves him. Maybe that's part of both of their programming, who knows, but I think for, for K, it's exceeding his programming, and he's willing to go through the experiment of Joy and uh, Mariette melding, synchronizing, so that he can have a tactile experience of physical uh intimacy with joy not because he's interested in mariette
1: but the interesting thing about that is that that was all joy's idea
0: yeah that's true
1: and really joy is just his projection internal yeah desires manifested so like so even though it I said it was Joy's idea, but yeah, it really was his idea manifested onto Joy that she carried out yeah. for him. And is that the whole, the two opening scenes of Sapper and Kay, mm-hmm. it was interesting to watch their interaction. And then it goes into the first time we see Joy. And when he it,
0: comes home from that.
1: Right. Yeah. Into his, his apartment and he's eating his yeah. dinner or whatever. Yeah. But in the in the interaction with Sapper, well, one thing I noticed is that he wears glasses. So, Sapper does? Yeah. 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 So what you were saying just a few minutes ago made me realize, you know, even though these replicants, like, they show that replicant being born right. as a full-grown woman. Right. It makes me think they could have been made as children and then they grew to adulthood, even though... It seems like that's kind of questionable. Like they're saying, "Oh, you know, these memories of my childhood are just implanted right, or whatever." Right. But so, but it does raise the question. So, like, if he has glasses, like, why would they make a replicant with bad eyes? Right. Right. And then, you know, they or all- eyes
0: that grow bad.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And my assumption has always been that, you know, like the woman we see born fully grown that interacts with Neander there at mm-hmm. his complex that every replicant is created fully ready to use. Mm -hmm. We don't need a gestation period or a growth period. A replicant doesn't need to go through childhood and adolescence to become the tool we need it to be Mm -hmm. off-world to do whatever. The original film with Rutger Hauer and his crew they're not that many years old.
1: Right. They can only live four years.
0: And and they, you know, when they were created, they were created in order to be off world mm-hmm. and do all these dangerous things that humans shouldn't be able to do or, mm-hmm. you know, put their hand in this freezing liquid. And it doesn't matter because that's not part of how they were created. Mm-hmm.
1: But why would they make a replicant that had bad eyes that yeah. needed glasses? So at some point, yeah. his eyesight must have deteriorated. So that he would need glasses.
0: Yeah, and, and or, or I'll just take a wild uh, notion here, and is that is that an affectation for Sapper? Is the fact that he puts these glasses on giving him a sense of maybe being, feeling more human? Does he really need them? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's an open question. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's evidence out there to refute that notion, but.
1: Well, and then some of them even smoke, too. And that also made me feel like, why Why do replicants need to smoke? Right. But then why do they need to eat? Why do they yeah, need to sleep? True. Why do they need to do anything? Yeah. But they've been made to. Yeah.
2: Um,
1: but anyways, getting back to that first scene, uh, I was struck by how kind Sapper is. Mm. Like, he knows yeah. that Kay has come to retire him. Yeah. And yet he offers him the garlic, you know? And yeah. they have this very polite interaction. Like, even Kay's like... You know, I really would like to do this in a nice, right. civilized kind of way. And, right. you know, it would be nice if you just came with me or just let me do whatever. Right. But they, they there's this very polite interchange between them. But there's this realness between them. And then he goes home to Kay and everything is fabricated. You know, every yeah. she's changing Outfits every three seconds, and right. um, the food that she brings him—you know—is right. just this fake it's an thing. Illusion, yeah. yeah, their anniversary, or you know, is it our right. anniversary? We don't know, but yeah. you know. And then he, she says something, and he's like, "Oh, you don't have to say that." Right. But so all of it is just this fakey, fakey thing. So it's just interesting to, to see, you know, how right they're—they're they're both replicants. They're both right. Well, all of them yeah, hey yeah. too, I mean they yeah. but you can have these totally different They're all
0: creations, yeah, in that sense, yeah, yeah,
1: but then when he when when he gives or utilizes the emanator, yeah, then that really changes yeah. her to be much more real, yeah, and it does seem like their relationship goes to this other level of now. Now you really are my girlfriend. Now I really do love you instead you can of this. You go anywhere with me. Big thing. Right. Yeah.
0: And 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 expand the the breadth of your experience in the world because you're let loose from the apartment into the rooftop. Yeah. And all the travels that I'm going to take or or whatever that you're going to accompany with and and be a vital participant in my process of my interaction with the world, mm-hmm. right? I mean, he she shows up at the library while he's going through her records or wherever that was, uh, uh, the records office. And, and you know, she's she's there at, at the end of her scenes uh, in Vegas and sort of comes forth without really even being called forth by mm-hmm. him. She's just always there in his pocket listening. Uh, and then when she shows up visually, uh, we hear – That, oh, she knows what's been going on. She's been Mm -hmm. privy to all of that. Mm -hmm.
1: But at the same time, whenever I would watch and listen to her, again, it's just, it's like, are you really real? And do you really love him? Are you really crying these tears? Right. Or are you just the manifestation of what he wants? Because that's her whole reason for existence is... To do what he would like right. her to do,
0: Re- reinforced after she's been killed, quote unquote killed, crushed under the heel of love, mm-hmm. and he's back in the city and he's wandering around in the rain, all bloodied, with bandaged in his face, and he encounters the huge right. holographic projection of her, and I mean that was in that I found that a really interesting scene because you got to see the fact that he's connected some in some kind of deep way with his version of joy but really his version of joy is really at its fundamental baseline the same as this marketing piece mm-hmm. that's huge in front of him uh trying to you know seduce him into uh buying the product
1: right well and that love even says that right before she smashes right yeah like we we hope you've enjoyed our product
0: right yeah Which is a comment on any artificial life, right? I mean, anyone could say that. Neander could say that as he snuffs out the next replicant that he's created, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Whether it's having Rachel, quote unquote, Rachel shot in front of Deckard there in that scene. Mm -hmm. It's not really Rachel. It's just the next version Mm -hmm. that Neander's created. But he might as well have said, "We've hope you enjoyed our product, mm-hmm. right? It's a commodity, mm-hmm. uh, and everyone's a commodity almost, it, except that we're learning that they grow out of that. You know, any being through exp- joy grows out of, in a sense, can grow out of the commodity. We don't really know, yeah, and or we, if
1: she's just really good at doing her job, or,
0: right? She's just really such a really well written program, yeah, and and that's." I think that's part of the depth of of the question. One of the themes that the film, you know, sort of poses is if you're created for one thing, can you grow out of that beyond that one thing Mm -hmm. or one things, uh, several things? Uh, Can you become more than the sum of your programming? Mm -hmm. Uh, Kay certainly looks like he did. You know, Rachel certainly did. A lot of the replicants that we encounter becoming woke to their state and to their agency and their desire to preserve and increase their agency sort of go through that process. Mm -hmm. Joy as an artificial intelligence seems to go through that process. Even love, you know, one of the last things love says before she's killed by agent K in the ocean there, you know, she brags about how she's the best one. Yeah. Right. She has some pride in her existence that maybe i don't think was programmed there because she hadn't you know when she was birthed she hadn't had any experience against any other replicants or any other individuals or human beings or whatever so it's interesting that for me that's the larger thing is is a commentary on who we are as human beings is that part of what defines our humanity is our ability to to grow to take the experiences that we have, take them in, in a way that affects our perception about ourselves, about the world that we live in. I mean, we've talked a little bit about that in a lot of ways of what's going on right now in this Mm -hmm. country.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: So, and I think the film sort of really challenges us on that deep level. And that's part of why I like it so
1: much. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so the whole, the, and the ability to bear children is sort of the, the, Mm -hmm pinnacle of changing yourself
0: right yeah. well, the whole notion of parenthood Yeah. you know and i and i don't it, let's not even take it to the you know once you have a child how you parent them but just the ability to create
1: yeah another, it makes you the creator yeah
0: that's right yeah w- which gives you like you you've talked about you know the notion of what's your responsibility yeah. as a creator mm-hmm. to the creation to the choices that the creation makes to the things that you choose that put the creation in certain places or circumstances or situations that can have significant effects. Mm-hmm. Right.
1: It would be interesting in the next movie, if there is one for them to show us off world yeah. and what that looks like, because they're showing us how we've made such a mess of this world. Yeah. And, and, you, you were talking about the responsibilities we have yeah. and you know the responsibilities we have to nature yeah. and animals and you know if we wreck all of that yeah it just makes me wonder well what about the people that were wealthy enough to get off world right what, what are they living like
0: right now and what are replicants doing for them yeah you know there got to be other versions of the love character really that are, you know, an assistant to Neander in her specific case in the film. But there can be, you know, if there, if you can create a, a being that acts like a detective that can go find other beings and choose to let them live or kill them Mm -hmm. based on how he's been designed. And you can create a being to be your assistant. That is more than just a business associate is, is, is an assassin if she needs to be then you can create a being to to be anyone right i mean like we've created dogs yeah i just need a companion or i need someone to feed me or i need someone to you know make the bed or whatever and all the implications the moral implications of that you know, aren't too far removed from the choices that we as human beings are making in this world today. Not only with animals that we have as pets, but other creatures and each other. Yeah. And how we treat each other. And
1: the whole uh, idea of of wealth, because a lot of times they'll say, "Well, that's that would be really expensive." Mm-hmm. You know, of course, this isn't a real snake. That I don't have the money for that, or whatever. Right, right. So it implies that all of these things cost a lot of money. So if you have the money, then you have the means to do right to be off world, to have these replicants doing whatever for you. Yeah. Yeah, Which is like, like the world now. Yeah. That's right. Yeah.
0: Unfortunately.
1: Yeah.
0: So, yeah, I mean, I haven't delved very deep into the Reddit experience of Blade Runner, so to speak, or, or even of Ridley Scott's films, but they say that there's a lot of connections between the corporations that were in the first Blade Runner and Neander's Corporation in this one and, and the Alien films. Oh. Like there's a timeline. There's a connected point. Like some, some of the equipment or some of the corporations that send out some of the – like in Prometheus, there's a corporation run by uh, the old guy who who is kind of a stowaway on his own I mean that's not true he's revealed to be on the ship but uh Charlie's thrones father uh character on that in in that film he's the head of a corporation and that corporation has a name that's connected to one or both of these blade runner movies huh. so that there's a sense that you know these artificial beings and the commerce uh, around those beings has extended beyond just these two films in the in the Ridley Scott world, so to speak, so who knows we might we might see a next film, and you know there's a lot of years between the first Blade Runner and this one,
2: yeah, and
0: there's no guarantee it's not really kind of a tent pole in the way that other Marvel films or other sequeled films are being made these days where you know that when they make the first one they intend to make two others mm-hmm. and make at least three and then they'll let's see if how, how successful they are. Mm-hmm. There's not necessarily a third uh, film. Uh, but so, so many things seem to
1: point to that. Even, you know, the whole, the, the group led by uh, Frasia or whatever. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they were in the movie so little that yeah. it almost made it seem like they're going to come back. Yeah. You know, with some sort of a, big rebellion or 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 like
0: or like the time period difference between the first film and the second film in the second film is like 30 years later right Mm -hmm. so i could certainly see hey we can revisit somewhere in between those 30 years for the next film like a lot of these franchises do Mm -hmm. or we can hey what what's the next 30 years look like and where does that leave society or the the race of replicants have they started to birth their own and and have a foothold in in sort of determining what's what's happening on the planet, and has that made real humans leave more, and it's really just more replicants left on the earth? I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. There's there's certainly a lot of fertile ground, yeah, for yeah. stories going anywhere, right?
1: But I guess this movie didn't do that well at the box office, right? So maybe the yeah comparatively they won't make speaking, it yeah, because it right. Wasn't. Yeah, I bummer. think I
0: think it was critically acclaimed. Mm-hmm. It, it went it won Academy Award for cinematographer, uh, and it, and got nominated in a lot of other categories that it didn't necessarily win. Mm-hmm. And it certainly was appreciated. I think at a level of craft that people in the industry and and people that are, are critics of the industry appreciated. And there's certainly a fan base that appreciated it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it's it's certainly not a successful box office film to the extent of these other huge tent poles, you know, from the Marvel movies to star Wars, to all these other films that are, they spend a huge amount of money in order to try to make a huge amount of money. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I don't know what effects the finances will have on a quote unquote sequel being made. And it might just be, I mean, Ridley, Scott, the director of the original, had kind of started shepherding this project. And then the Sony hack happened, which changed a lot of things within Sony and in some ways made it possible for another kind of batch of people coming in to influence the project, not the least of which was uh, uh, Denis Veneuve uh, who directed it and quite effectively directed it. As a matter of fact, I think I appreciated his work as a director more than I might have with Ridley. I, I liked some of Ridley's movies as a director, not all of them. And, and I felt like this film, you know, really showcased what Denny can do. Hmm. Uh, you know, I liked arrival and, and other things that Denny did as well. So, uh, but anyways, uh, the fact that he was able to come in and bring his spin on it or whatever and and maybe mold the story in a certain kind of way is related to what happened with the studio and the choices that the studio maybe had to make in order to be able to create a film that sort of reasserted to the industry and the public that hey we're a legitimate company with uh you know with with no security concerns about these, the site, this intellectual property or, or the communications and the privacy and all that stuff. And, you know, some of that is part of interwoven into the film as well.
2: Yeah.
0: And in, in maybe not so subtle ways or ways that would have been taken as more subtle if the hack hadn't happened. Mm -hmm. So, so it's interesting to think about what a third film might be, what its subject matter might cover, what time period it might go through. but, but like the first film and like this film does in really ways that I think we both embrace, I would hope the third one would continue to explore these basic notions of humanity.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And, and really, what does it mean to be human? What are the responsibilities of being a creator to your creation? Uh, how do we uh, define otherness? What are the, the, the pitfalls Of trying to make that definition and how does that separate us more than it, than it needs to for arbitrary reasons Mm -hmm. and out of, based out of fear rather than out of anything really worthwhile. Mm -hmm. Uh, And if the, whatever, whatever framework the next film takes, if it's, if it's engaging those kinds of things, then, then I'm probably going to be really interested in seeing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I really appreciate you bringing all this to the table. It's illuminated. I mean, I've seen the film several times, and I've done another podcast on it, and I sort of felt like I, you know, maybe I could close the chapter on the illumination this film could bring to me, and you've opened up new doors for me to to peer through and want to walk through and want to explore more. So I really appreciate
1: that. Thanks, Jorge.
0: Thank you. Really appreciate that.
1: I'll have to listen to the other.
0: Podcast. Yeah, you can find that uh, as you can find all of the Cinnasol podcasts on the Overthink Podcast Network at theOverthink.com it is a great website where you can learn about all the different podcasts and the uh other Blade Runner twenty forty-nine podcast that I was involved in is part of the overthoughts podcast on that network. So just go to that website, the overthink dot com and check it out. And don't forget to to go to Mimi's website, either. (laughs) Giveadogahome.etsy.com to check out ways that you can uh, purchase dog jackets or other ways that you can support uh, dogs finding a great home. Thanks, Mimi. Thank you, Jorge. Thanks for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did doing it. You can learn more about Cynosol and share your comments about this episode at Cinesoul.com, that's C-I-N-E-S-O-U-L.com. This episode was co-produced and edited by Ben Helms, who also wrote our theme. Thank you, Ben, for all your technical prowess. And it's hosted by The Overthink uh, Podcast Network, which you can find at TheOverthink.com. You'll learn all about the different podcasts under the network's umbrella, Some really amazing stuff there. I urge you to check it out and uh, see what we've got. So thanks again for listening and see you next time.